0: actually call him an interview so we're calling today's feature dial a fashion fuck up we're talking <laughs> i
1: totally started recording you <laughs> 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 i don't know if it like actually keep that part of it i'll bleep it out no no oh, no oh no, my no, God. No, leave it leave <laughs> it the,
0: leave it the fuck in there because i think that i i i'm not saying anything it's an opinion i get to have an opinion um. Yeah, I, I have a whole list of fashion fuck-ups we could dial. <laughs> and I'm on that list occasionally. I God knows I've, <laughs> I've fucked up a little bit on occasion, making bad choices, overextending, over-promising, under-delivering. Um, you know, it happens. It's well, all a learning I, curve.
1: It is all a learning curve. And I think that when we're green in the industry, that a lot of times we think, okay, yeah, I can totally do that. And then we get involved into this actual situation, like, oh, uh, the uh, client uh, has a different fabric. Oh, uh, they actually uh-huh. don't have patterns. Uh-huh.
0: Uh-huh. you know, yeah, all I'm, of these I'm,
1: layers, right?
0: I'm uh, working with a new client and um, we've already uh, modified the sample pattern. Uh, because we're doing a fitting, and, and I, I guess we're going to use this uh, this amazing lady as the fit model for this size, which is fine. Uh, but we made some changes, and trying to get the client, uh, who's who's an amazing client so far, very flexible, very open minded, has a background, has a fashion degree, has done internship, knows knows you know what production is at the very least. Uh, still trying to get her to understand that, that there is a correct flow. And that the reason, yes, I have modified, I, the cut and sew, have modified the pattern, the pattern uh, uh, cutter didn't do that. Uh, So she needs to take the pattern that I've modified, digitize it so that you have a digital version for grading. You can't, I'm not going to do this to all the patterns. I'm not going to hand cut patterns every single time. Um, That is not the gig that I'm signing up for. I'm signing up to cut and sew garments
1: yeah and if you can't deliver a graded set ready to go for your cutter you'd bet your bippy that you're gonna need to pay them to cut that out and that takes time like i when i first started my factory benson i don't know if i've ever told you this story holy shit (laughs) i hired a friend of mine to get a big fat fucking sharpie
0: to outline
1: patterns so that when we would scan them in the scanning bed that we would get the highest edge resolution i literally paid somebody to outline all of my my most used patterns with a fucking sharpie oh my god. <laughs> like, like it's a dream for somebody who's like t- task oriented but oh my god it was just one of those those things those costs as a designer that yeah, you just had to yeah, eat because yeah. it had to
0: be done <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, I mean no look, I I I have similar like I'm like, oh, I need I really need to go in and put a half inch seam allowance on all of this because I can't expect somebody else cutting it out to just automatically compensate. You know, I used to I used to for my especially for my arsenic and black lace dresses, I used to um just use a block. I didn't I didn't even have a uh slopers they were just blocks and i knew how much pattern or how much seam allowance to cut into them as i cut depending on the stretch ratio and return of the of the um, stretch lace i was working with well that that wasn't going to go if i needed someone else to cut them so i had to go and uh, through all of those pattern pieces and all of the trains and all of the sleeve variations and all of the top variations and 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 put you know and i just love taping paper to paper Oh my, my god. My favorite thing. And in retrospect, I probably just should have made all new patterns, but I wasn't thinking clearly. I started by taping uh the seam allowance on and you know, so I, I went through the entire set that way. And now I just wouldn't do that. Now I would be like, Well, we're gonna scan these and then we're gonna do this in a computer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so my, my pattern maker, um, uh and, and business partner here, uh, shout out Danielle. She's having a Procedure today, so I'm I'm holding her in my high thoughts, um, but she ran out of time. Uh, <laughs> making some adjustments to the skirt pattern for this this piece I'm working on, and so I got patterns that say at the bottom, handwritten, add an inch. And, and I texted her last mm-hmm. night. I swear I did not text her this morning, an hour before her procedure. That would be shitty. I texted her last night, and apparently my phone sat on it. Uh, and sent it out this morning, so she's she's getting my text like I don't know an hour before going under the knife, uh, and I'm like, okay, no bueno, I I I, I do not appreciate having to uh, add, add a hemline uh, because the cut and the cut and tape paperwork is soul destroying, something like that. Um, like this, this should have happened in the computer. Why did it not? And and that's you know she told me she ran out of time because she's trying to get it done before going under the knife. So I feel like an asshole, but at the same time, it is no bueno. Like, don't do that. What if I what if what if I, I just proceeded to cut that out and didn't see the little itty bitty note because I wasn't wearing my glasses that allow me to see little itty bitty note. You don't ever send a pattern out with with directions to add this or and, and you know I know that because uh, I used to do it all the time and it's fine if it's me because i will remember but i yeah just stuff stop, stop. yeah there's there's
1: a there's a layer of professionalism when you're going to be handing it off to another individual to be able to do the same level of work that you do and like you know that's such a fine line that i see so many of us designers dealing with of you know looking at a situation and saying, okay, is it easier for me to just say, get out of my way, it's going to be faster for me to do it. Or, holy crap, I'm going to probably need to do, you know, X number thousand of these, I really do need to take the time to teach you to be able to do this and suck it up. And so it, it is a really fucking fine line. But at the same time, if you're being come, if somebody's coming to you as a professional, and your job is to cut and do for sample, then all of those notations should already be like, you know, this is done, you know, I don't, I I don't need your consulting advice, you know, and, and when you work with a client who gives you instructions with like that and you give them exactly what they brought to you, they get so freaking pissed. I can't tell you how many different manufacturers I've talked to. They're like, they bring them a pattern, they bring them fabric. They tell them, you know, we want this um, sample done, what it would look like production style. You deliver literally exactly what they ask for and they get pissed because there's problems. And so, you know, at what point are you willing to pay for that consultation? Because a lot of those issues come up in the cut and sew process, And and I will
0: tell you, I I know cases where um, the cut and sew business, uh, one of the Dallas-Fort Worth cut and sews knew that the pattern was wrong but it was on the list to produce, so they went with it and produced a thousand five hundred uh, garments that they knew were wrong. But this is what this is what was sent to them, and they were within their mm-hmm. rights. I mean, I, I wouldn't have done that. Um, I think that that is. I think the ethics are a little shaky on that. I probably would have at least called the client and said, "Are you sure you want it this way?" Um, hmm. This is not going to yield what you're what you're telling me you want me to yield, um, but I also understand a, a busy business uh, who's got a lined up uh, production. They've got people that are on the clock. They just went with it. They probably had nothing else that day to replace it with. So you got to be careful. And, and and my partner Danielle, she's brilliant. Like this is this is the, this is we're learning each other's systems. You know, she's worked for uh, other other designers supplying patterns. And now we're fine tuning the process of how I want things for me to cut and sew. And this is a piece of advice that I'll give to anyone who is working with a pattern maker. Pattern makers should be working with the sample makers, period. Period. Because there are things that are fine, just in pattern making and your sample maker who is working with the fabric and knows what machines they're working on can come in and say, look, this needs to be a three 8 not a half inch here i'm or, or this needs to be bigger because i'm using a five thread serger instead of a three thread serger so there's going to be more seam allowance needed um you, you've got to work with the person who's going to be the sample maker you got to work I, I mean when i'm working with my crew and, and i'm doing patterns i have the um whoever is heading up the atelier team is working with me i want to make sure that they're they're understanding and if they see a problem a potential problem in constructing something. I want them to speak up. So she's brilliant. I mean, well, this is this is literally she. I mean, she's having a surgery. She ran out of time. Uh,
1: well, no, and and that totally makes sense. But like, it's a good warning to either cut and sew houses or pattern people that when you have a client come in, that's one of those hashtag DDs, the dream designers, uh-huh. you know. Like oh it's a dream for me to do this thing and they know shit all about any of it sourcing whatever, and and I I generally use that as a derogatory term um and so if you ever hear me talking about somebody being a DD, um that's what I mean. No, we, um, we,
0: we, we used to call them <laughs> dreams and nightmares. We <laughs> got another dreams and nightmares coming in today.
1: But if your if your DD is approaching a person to do patterning work for them for a project it should be spelled out in a contract implicitly about what the pattern price is how many corrections will be done within those parameters of original request and then anything else that's added on is either done at an hourly rate that y'all agree on or is done you know like this is a new project like okay so now you wanted to put placket pockets on it and you want to add a zipper that changes a lot and change your fabric that changes too many things that you know it's essentially a new garment and so if your dd doesn't understand those topics and is not willing to enter into a contract they're going to take you for a ride and if your dd doesn't want your pattern maker to talk to your sample or cut house that's a huge a red, red flag.
0: flag. Yeah, I, 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 uh, I the, the, the the client, our end use client, and and I quite quite like working with her. Um, she had a few questions, and I'm like, well, I have. She's like, I thought Benson made those changes, and I said, well, I did make those changes. I made those changes on the pattern that I'm working with to produce this dress. If you want this dress with these changes in your collection, we have got to have the patterns digitized and and made into digital files if you only want this as a one-off and i'm only doing the one-off then you're good but it seems foolish to me to have me do this development work to get you this keyhole neckline with a peter pan collar as opposed to a placketed neckline with a with an Izod style collar it seems foolish to do the work for a dress that's actually super cute now um, and not put that into production so uh, i i think that they're getting it but there is a certain level of education the first time somebody goes through production. And honestly, I think that there, doesn't that, that continues. I have, I have some seasoned clients that, that I still have to educate um, because they will come up with some new way of, of uh, well, being a fashion. Fuck up. <laughs> like, oh, I, I, thought I, I thought I would change it from power mesh to chiffon. Oh, did you? How were you planning on getting this on to people? now that it's chiffon and there's no zipper well i, you I, know. I just you put a zipper in it for me well that that that's a whole new back you see well couldn't you put it in the side well that's a whole new side you see <laughs> I, 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 it, it, and- it just amazes me like what escapes i'm like uh, uh, okay 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 um I, and I'm doing some things a la carte. I'm being very kind. This woman has a, 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 a maybe 100 pieces. And Danielle and I were talking yesterday, and I said, like, we need to give her uh, an outline. Uh, this much money for this many pieces, this much money for this many pieces, this much money for this many pieces, and let them decide what they're going to spend to launch their line. Um, and we need to know that, because I, I can't just do one-offs over and over. That's not actually... Going to help the client in the long term and it's not really going to do much for me in the long term.
1: Yeah, because essentially mm-hmm. that cuts short what the potential of whatever it is that th- that client is looking at and when they're approaching a pattern maker, I think a lot of times it's a miscommunication between um client the DD and the pattern maker of I'm coming to you for a pattern. Well, okay, so what's your sample size and you know we start there. I think that it's then a disconnect between the DD that they think that the other sizes just, you know, automatically happen. You know <laughs> uh, that, like
0: uh, uh, uh. Grading rules, people. <laughs> there are grading rules. There are tolerances. If you're multi, this is something that I, I've run into people who have been in the industry for years don't know. I'm like, if you're stacking, if you're stacking a hundred layers, you've got to have cutting tolerances because because all your layers, the layers at the top and the layers at the bottom will not be the same size. And you have to you have to establish what those cutting tolerances for that particular fabric are. It's not just sewing tolerances; there are cutting tolerances, um, and it 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 it's sometimes surprising what people uh, who are actually professionals in our industry just aren't aware of. Uh, and yeah. that's why I you know, I, I think it's always an educational situation. And and Danielle's right, every client that she's ever gonna work with is gonna have their own system. But since we're partnering up looking for a building now, um, we're we're talking about buying our own building and going long term with this production here in Detroit. Uh I think that it it's important that that the communication be open and free. And that's why I'm enjoying working with her so much. That's why I enjoyed working with you so much. Um, you know, and there's a short time with all the other fashion fuck-ups at that place that we worked at together. Um, it was, it was nice working with somebody who actually knew what the fuck they were talking about.
1: Yeah. It, I'm, I really miss having the face-to-face sewing, um, and designing camaraderie, um i just i haven't found um other than having a muse relationship with um a friend of mine um that is really inspiring I, like there's not somebody that um i see on a regular basis where we're you know we're talking about techniques and and i think that that's why i continually reached out to you and i'm like benson we need to we need to do this advanced thing we need to we need to keep pushing each other because I'm fucking floundering.
0: I, yeah, like here, here I am in the middle of this big ocean, just treading water, not even trying to swim towards something just, um, so, uh, and it is, it's very different working with people. I, I miss working with people, especially when there are things I don't want to do. I, I've always made yeah. trades with the people that, that work with me. Like uh, you hate doing small, tiny rolled hems I hate doing pockets. You do the pockets, and I'll always do the small, tiny rolled hems. Um, mm-hmm. That's that's a I mean, you know now I got to do the pockets and the rolled hems. All good.
1: I feel you. But this is going to be
0: super good, and I think that the client is learning, and I think that Danielle and I are learning each other's process. Um, I'm like, okay, you your your notches have to be bigger. These are so small, but it's almost impossible to cut them. And the reason that I'm having you cut triangles. I I know that this is the opposite of woven. We don't I don't want notches in a knit. I want a triangle. And there's a very specific reason for that. Number one, if we're stacking them, you cannot use a a, a a big saw cutter to cut a notch it'll just tear the fabric up right because it's knit oh my god so you 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 would Mm -hmm. want them to cut around the triangle like you would find in a in a commercial pattern but the other reason is is those those triangles become tabs for the sewer to hold on to as they take Uh, and make the pass from corner to to notch, from triangle to triangle, triangle to corner. Those those are how you hold on to them because we're not putting pins in things that we're running through sewing machines or sergers. I mean, I I don't even pin when I'm on a straight stitch machine. It's rare that I pin, rare that I Mm -hmm. pin anymore because most of the mistakes happen in the pinning.
1: Oh, totally. And one of the techniques that I learned from one of my old school knit, teachers was that when you're doing a stack like that um and and this i would tend to say that this is more of a high-end cutting technique as opposed to a manufacturer's technique but um she taught me how to thread mark those notches so that when you're holding um those matching pieces as you're going to the serger you're just holding those two thread pieces on both of the matching sides and then the serger cuts those notch pieces off as you go through and so yeah you have to be a little bit delicate to make sure that those um like little thread leads that you hold on to as they get fed into the serger don't come out and you misplace your original notch but it was so helpful. And, it, and even though it took a little extra time in creation of knit garments, if I had a client that was paying high dollar for um, a well-constructed knit, Thing, i would definitely use that technique because i would want it to last
0: yeah no i we, we do that when i'm doing uh knit gowns when i'm doing the high end stuff mm-hmm. we always thread mark everything uh, you know don't 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 put a pencil mark on that by the time that's handled and batched and unbatched and handled and bad, those are all going to be gone thread mark stuff i loved it mm-hmm. i love thread marking and actually on this this new project i'm working on it's it's got very uh very picky um shoulder points uh, there's a there's mm-hmm. a a, um, a printed fabric uh, that basically uh, covers the shoulders. So my sleeve is two pieces. It's got the solid color and the printed portion at the top. And these all need to form really nice crisp points. So there's going to be probably some thread tacking because you know when you're when you're going mm-hmm. under the uh, 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 making a pass to a serger, it doesn't matter that your edges match your seams have to match precisely where the needle's going to hit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so I I may find myself going through and just doing a quick whip stitch to make sure that all of those corners are pristine. Because while that's a little time consuming, it's going to save me time in the long run, taking shit apart and redoing it to get it right. Yeah. And if you know any tricks to do that, let me know. well
1: i'll have to think about that like it's one of those let me sleep on it because i bet um i bet i could help develop something that would make that really easier easier oh man i love our friday yeah
0: right right uh you you know i'm tempted to just use a pen and i'm like no that's 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 part of my religion if you put a pen anywhere near my surgery god will smite you don't Mm -hmm. don't don't do it um Oh, I've lost oh. so many blades
1: that way when I had factories, <laughs> people not oh. getting it. And I'm like, uh,
0: uh, Speaking of, of, of Mr. RB, um, I, I had five um, surgers. We were only using one serger, but I had five sergers. And they were all threaded up. I said, no, no, they all need to be threaded. He said, well, why so many? And I said, it's a backup. It's a backup and a backup and a backup and a backup there was an afternoon where we went through three of those five yeah one was an idiot putting pins in trying to surge a zipper <laughs> into a garment with pins one was just the idiot uh one of my idiot assistants literally knocked it on the floor um and and the other one was that they uh um they they broke needles and then somehow managed to get the needles jammed into the Peter dogs <sighs> right Fun. so you know we can't we can't stop production uh it, it, it's nerve-wracking for me here to only have one of my industrial sergers and oh, one I'm of insane. my industrial cover stitches and one of my industrial straight stitchers set up i only have one of each i don't have room for multiples um <laughs> so you know thankfully we learned how to kind of fix our machines by ourselves to a certain point it it takes a lot to get me uh to the point where i can't um, make the machine work correctly, but it is nerve wracking. Mm-hmm. And this is our Friday call, mm-hmm. isn't it? I, I guess we dove in early. Um, didn't even do the little thing where we pretend to actually be calling each other. Maybe we'll do that. If, <laughs> maybe we'll do that at the end this time. <laughs> Hola, <hi. laughs> um, I, I, a couple of things I want to mention. Um, I yeah. want to mention that it is pride month. Um, we're a full, 10 days into Pride Month, and I haven't said anything about Pride Month, and as your resident queer, uh, I I think that I should mention that it's Pride Month. And I hope that uh, all of the celebrants of Pride Month find a deeper meaning in their own identity. I hope that you become queerer than you've ever been, freer than you ever thought you could be, and I hope you remember to treat your allies well.
1: And I'd like to say, or maybe even issue a challenge to anybody that's listening is, I know you have a scrap bin. Just look through that thing and make a fun, happy pride flag with all your little scrappies. Put it in your yard. Enjoy it. Tell yourself you've done something good with your scraps.
0: And if if you're gay, I expect more than a flag, bitches. I, I expect <laughs> scrap made speedos on everybody. Oh, um, that would be amazing. The other, thing, me the other thing that we could talk about on our Friday call um, is actually I think the subject of our of our Friday episode. We did a thing. We did a big thing.
1: We did a big thing with Miss Rachel.
0: Rachel that's and- gross. Shout out.
1: Yes, and um, you can find her um, at at rachelelspethgross.com or rachelelspeth.com, and I should probably know that off at the top of my head, but she is a wonderful fashion historian, and she has several different projects that she works on, and um, she was gracious enough to begin a process with us um as we opened up all of these skeletons in our fashion closet um it became very apparent that so many different fashion communities around the world are in need of not just advice about how to run fashion here in the united states or Um, you know, what our fashion history is um, and how it shapes our worldview. But there are people who have lost their entire studios. There are people that um, have had their collections stolen because they've had to flee from their hometowns. There are individuals working in terrible um, factory slash super sketchy factory situations around the world and we really wanted to address that um cuz we have to i mean like it's this innate need to help our our designers around
0: the world and, and this is that something wh- that we've talked about before i mean austin has that wonderful musicians fund uh there's a there's a fund for actors and people in movies when they when they have uh, calamities and crises and we don't we 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 have the amfar fund for aids research but there's nothing really to help out just an independent designer or or a major label designer who is going through trauma and crisis and what happened in the ukraine um, on the heels of of what the pandemic did to our industry across the globe I think was was the moment to get back to the idea that there's something that we can do to create a safety net for for people in fashion, and so we've done that. And you're going to hear more about that today on our episode, right. which I think uh, we should probably get to um, because I don't know if I can not say it. So let's let's record our episode.
1: Thank you for listening to Phone of Fashion Friend Friday and being our PFFFs. And I'm still working on our audio that I'm going to release our bonus episode because I'm not only uh, editing all of that audio, but I'm also building a website, too, and we can't wait to share it with you as soon as we release our bonus episode 7. Thanks for listening, guys. We love you a lot. Please join us at AdvancedFashionDisruption.com, and we hope you have a great weekend. we can't wait to save the fashion world with you.